the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 153. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest news and comic book reviews from the weeks of January 18th through January 31st. We have a total of four books to cover. We have some solicitations, and uh, I imagine we're going to have a lengthy discussion about Batman 38. If you haven't read it, you'll understand why in a short amount of time. So let's get into comic news. Uh, really, the biggest thing to talk about is the solicitations. On January 20th, the solicitations for April were released, but let's start off with the graphic novel and trade advance solicitations. DC released some of the Batman-related graphic novels and trade release that will be available through the months of May and June of 2015. Several of these are for collected editions of the current and former New 52 ongoing titles, including Volume 6 of Batman Robin, Volume 5 of Detective Comics, Volume 5 of Batgirl, Volume 2 of Batman Superman, Volume 1 of Earth 2 World's End, and a trade paperback of the main Forever Evil title. In addition to other collected editions that are either outside of the New 52 line from comics that predated the New 52. Some of these include a trade paperback of the first four issues of the tie-in Arkham Knight comic, Volume 4 of Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, Volume 2 of the comic Batman Adventures inspired by Batman the Anime Series, and a paperback titled... Batman Arkham the Riddler, which will include some of the best Riddler stories from Batman, Detective Comics, and other titles from both old and new DC universes. So we have the entire list of all of those over on the website for you to check out. But uh, getting into the main solicitations for April, um, obviously this is the first month of Convergence. Um, and also there's a number of books that were previously released prior, you know, uh, for the April 1st, which is the first... Wednesday of April were previously released with the, um, with the entire list of stuff for March. So, uh, for April 2015, it's the first month of the two month convergence event, which is filling in for the regular titles as DC moves its offices from the East Coast to the West Coast, made up of a title series and several two issue titles. Uh, we only really covered on the website the ones that include or feature TBU characters. Um, you can check out the entire list over on the website outside of the conversion stuff. There's also the tie-in comic for Arkham Knight, Batman 66, Teen Titans Go, and Injustice Gods Among Us. So uh, be sure to check out the entire list. Just running through, I mean, outside of actual the Convergence main series, there's Convergence Batgirl, Batman and Robin, Harley Quinn, Justice League, Nightwing Oracle, The Question, Batman Shadow of the Bat, Catwoman, Suicide Squad, Batman and the Outsiders, Crime Syndicate, Detective Comics. Those are the ones that are actually going to be popping up in April uh, as the first issues of the two-issue miniseries. So take a look at those. We've we pretty much have already discussed these in the past. There's not a lot to talk about. You know, that's what happens when you release the list of books that are coming out, you know, instead of three months in advance, four months in advance when they did it last month. So... Actually, they actually did back in November, started releasing some of the titles. The it's because they're titles. just so excited. 
Yeah. Or <laughs> I, yeah, I'll just, yeah. Okay, so outside of that, uh, the only other thing was also on January 20th, uh, DC Comics co-publisher Dan DiDio, uh, he did an interview that was with, with both Newsarama and Comic Book Resources in which he discussed the lasting impact of the upcoming Convergence event. Uh, while most of his answers were couched in typical publisher ambiguities, uh, Dio did have several comments that suggest convergence may have little lasting effects. At least in the way, yeah, little, little Hmm. is the key word. Uh, Little lasting effects, at least in the way that many readers were expecting. Um, so he basically said, uh, the, the, the convergence was never really planned to coincide with the multiversity series by Grant Morrison. The the timing just happened to be serendipitous. Uh, he later went on to say that the plan for the initial months after Convergence would not account for what happens during the event itself. Um, but then later on, when he when I guess when he spoke to Newsrama, he did say, and ultimately, you know, we're leaving every door open everywhere. We want to see what the reaction is, where the excitement is, because our goal is to reach as many people as possible. So the more people who get excited about ideas, the more we'll have to go back and see whether or not this is a viable option, how to really capture whatever interest they're showing in those characters. So despite the fact that uh, Convergence is meant to further investigate the status of the DC multi-universe after Flashpoint, and obviously the beginning of the New 52, anything could happen because they're basically using this as a litmus strip to figure out what works and what doesn't. It's pretty sad in a way, too, because he actually goes out of his way to show that they, in fact, had not planned it as well as we thought they did. Um, I mean, everyone had kind of thought that Convergence and Multiversity were planned together because they both deal with the multiverse. And here we realize that it wasn't some great long-term planning. It just happened to work out. Yeah, and I think that honestly is really sad. Well, yeah, Yeah, because I thought they planned it out. Sorry, so. No, that's okay. And and I feel like with with all the buzz that's been around and and the the big focus on it and the excitement coming off of news stories and interviews that it seemed like it was going to have some sort of lasting effects and and I feel like we as fans were making lots of uh, theories. I think we even talked about about you know how could this potentially really shake up the new fifty two. I remember Ed saying something you know like. There's going to be some like double yeah. storyline on what's going on or timeline. I think you said. Yeah. Uh, so to hear that little effects, then you're thinking to yourself, why in the world am I going to shell out three ninety nine for all of these for two months when there's really you know no point in it? So it really does go back to my article that. Gee golly, you're just looking to the past, but really it's just looking back and you can't do anything. It's not going to have any impact. So I'm, I'm rather shocked at this, to be honest. I, I just can't believe he came out and said what he said. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I mean, like, if anything, you hear how people are talking, you have to understand, you have to, like, have an idea of how people are perceiving this. And to go and sit there and decide, hey, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to tell everybody this wasn't the plan at all. It just happened. It was just happenstance that this all worked out the way it did. I, I don't even understand it because like, wouldn't you just want to like bask in the, the, like the glory of, you know, possibly putting together this awesome timeline of events to, to coincide instead of, and, and instead we just, just smashes everyone's hopes and dreams. <laughs> well, is, I mean, I, well, let's bring up the one caveat, which is these guys do lie in interviews from time to time, honestly. 
I mean, but so if we go by what the DO says, we're going to have a two month interlude and literally they're just never going to happen. Then we're just going to go right back to the new 52, like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that concerned me, cause I remember, uh, Ed said litmus test or whatever. I wonder if they know how to properly read some of these things because the three of us are still confused why Joker's daughter is still around. Somehow she's so popular, so I wonder if they really know how to read, you know, what's going on. So it could be terrible, and they'll bring back, and it'll be something big, or it'll be awesome, and they won't do anything with it. It'll be the opposite of what we expect. Here's the thing I, I get this odd suspicion about. The the thing is, I think one of the things that they listen to and they look at more than anything else is the sales numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why Harley Quinn keeps getting these, you know, six, five or six dollar specials every couple <laughs> months is because Harley Quinn is, you know, one of a top selling book for DC in reality. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not getting Batman numbers, but it's, it's up there when it comes to sales. So, I mean, the thing is, if they have the opportunity to make more money off of the same character, why not? They do it with Batman. We, we've talked about that multiple times. So the thing is, Joker's daughter, they had that, you know, they had the villains month. I honestly, as we all discussed back then, it was really, it really just felt like the whole reason everybody bought it and the sales numbers were so high was because it was just the Joker's daughter, Mm -hmm. not because of the character herself. That warranted that one shot that the character got later on. The one shot didn't actually have that great of sales because at that point, I think people kind of caught on to the fact that this was a horrible character. That being said, Outside of her popping up in Batman Eternal, which may or may not have been the plan from the very beginning, who knows? Uh, we know that Joker's daughter was featured on that promo art before Eternal even launched, so I mean, it's entirely possible they had plans for her in the series, whether they worked out the way they did or they changed them. But then she's also in Suicide Squad, and I feel like Suicide Squad, they put a bunch of characters in there that they feel are very popular or could be very popular with fans but don't necessarily or aren't necessarily getting their own book. That's why outside of Harley Quinn, she's the one exception. Outside of her, all the other characters, you know, they, you know, they're popular, but they can't, they can't manage their own book. Well, did you see in December, just, just on a, on a kind of side note real quick, that Harley Quinn actually outsold Walking Dead in December? I did wow. see that. Which was just, I mean, that's like phenomenal. I mean, unbelievable. That's, that's yeah, nuts. Yeah, it's just, that's just, like you said, that's why we're getting all the specials, but I saw that and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, it's out, Harley Quinn is outselling Walking Dead now. Get out of here. That's nuts. And it just, here's, here's my thought. I, and I just want to take a minute to discuss Harley Quinn. <laughs> that, the character herself, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I like the character of Harley Quinn. You know, there's been some great stories. There's been some horrible stories. But that being said, if you've been reading the the current run of Harley Quinn, it is, and I've said, and I've said this before when we've talked about the issue, it is so out there. They uh-huh. do some of the most insane, crazy crap in that book. That like, if it was any other character, I'd chalk it up to the creators lost their minds. But because it's Harley Quinn, and they're basically just turning up the dial on her, you know, being, you know, eccentric. I. I, it would not work, but in some way, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in that book that is just, if you just can't get behind the fact that Harley Quinn is a crazy char- character to begin with, you'd probably sit there and think that book sucks. 
I don't think you can hop on at any point as a new reader no. because I remember I uh-huh. had to cover something. Uh, maybe it was um the it was teacher's a end special, I believe. Oh, was it? Oh, well, I did that by choice, which was fine. But I think it was the future's end. I was told to cover that one. Yes, I think it was. And then I was just like, why is she talking to this dead raccoon or whatever that thing is that she has? <laughs> it's so, it's not a good first time reader sort of like you can hop on at any point. I think you need to start from the beginning. But it's weird because the sales numbers keep going up, which means people are just jumping on. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, but you are absolutely right. It's not one of those ones. I mean, like, there are some things that obviously you can read the story, but there are always, almost always hints of things that have happened previously in the series. I, I mean, I would go so far as now as to say, and this is, may sound ridiculous and maybe I'm wrong, but I think Harley Quinn's become a bigger character than the Joker. I mean, the Joker's yeah. never had his own series that was a top 10 selling book for a year, right? I mean, think about the amount of merchandise you see at conventions in your local shops just it's Harley Quinn all the time, you know? I mean, I, I, it's just, it's kind of shocking that she's probably one of the most marketable commodities of all of DC Comics now is what yeah. started off as a Joker sidekick in one episode of the animated series, really? And the funny thing is, when you think about this, think about it like this. What other female villain is there that even is marketable that DC markets and you can find merchandise for? No, I mean, maybe Poison Ivy or Catwoman. Right. I mean, Catwoman's probably the closest one. But, I mean, there's still not nearly as much. No, 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 you can't. I mean, it just, I mean, go to, go to, Harley Quinn's a character that people that don't read comics know who she is. And they shouldn't because she really hasn't been in a movie or anything. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's absolutely bizarre. And and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we've got another best selling character, but it is kind of nuts how well it's selling. All right. Leave the Harley Quinn discussion at that. That being said, we have four books to cover, which normally would not seem like that much, but we're probably going to be talking about Batman 38 for a while. So let's dive straight into Batman. You know, Bats, we've been doing this little runaround of ours for years. It's been loads of laughs. But the sad fact is, none of us are getting any younger. Batman number 38, in-game part four, writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Capullo. This issue uh, opens up right where we left off at the end of number 37 with Batman on the glider with Duke in tow. Um, they make their way across town to Jim Gordon's apartment where they find him sitting on the ground with an, with an axe in his chest. He retells them the story of him killing the Joker and his subsequent resurrection. Batman sends Duke to look for a medical kit, and before he makes it back, we see Jim has turned into a Jokerized version of himself and attempts to kill Batman with the axe that was previously in his chest. Uh, but Julia Pennyworth shows up, and she tranks him. Um, Batman orders Julia to take Duke to safety, um, and they says he, Batman says he'll put uh, Jim somewhere safe, and that he is going after the source of the virus. Um, Batman confers with Dick uh, via phone and is told with him that the virus is close to the chemicals of a Lazarus pit but not exactly the same. Uh, Dick reveals that what is in the Joker's bloodstream has given him the ability to heal uh, extreme wounds. Uh, at this point, uh, Batman runs into what I, I, I assume is a National Guard tank, uh, that the crew has been Jokerized and attacks him with the tank. Um, as this kind of fight scene is going on, him and, and Dick quickly narrow down the list of doctors that could have created the virus uh, to Paul Decker, who longtime fans of Batman will realize is the crazy quilt. 
uh, one of the B-less, maybe too generous of a statement, but one of the the, the villains from way back in the day. Um, he was uh, incarcerated Arkham until he was released, was given to him by none other than Eric Border, the Joker's alias. Uh, Dick Warden's Batman not to keep the family in the dark this time like he did last time, and Batman tells me can't keep him in the dark about his plan because he doesn't have one. We're then given a cutscene where uh, the Joker is shown uh, in swimming goggles, swimming some, somewhere. Uh, Batman arrives at Tecker's lab when he finds him uh, well-armed with a machine gun and his trademark quilt over his shoulders. Uh, he tells Batman of various stories from histories of substances that can, can make people immortal. He brings up the cases of Vandal Savage and Ra's al Ghul as evidence that this kind of immortality does in fact exist. Uh, Batman accuses him of making this virus and giving it to the Joker, uh, but Decker insists that it was in the Joker, and it was the Joker who brought him to him, and he took it right out of his, the Joker's spinal fluid. He says that the Joker is Gotham's very own immortal and has been around for a long time. Uh, Julia then calls Batman and, and says that she is going through the evidence and starting to see pictures and other evidence that the Joker has been around for a long time. It looks at least back to the founding of Gotham. She says if these are fakes, these are the best fakes she has ever seen. Um, Decker then injects himself with a needle that the Joker said would make him immortal, which, of course, kills him. And then Batman says he is going to get some answers from the only place he knows to turn. On the very last page, we see Batman come out of the pool and stand in front of the Court of Owls and tells them it's time to talk about history. That's the end of the main story. There's a the backup, which is written by James Tang. The fourth is also presented here. Uh Really short, but we, we kind of see our crazies from last issue descend into the sewer with the doctor uh, in tow. And they show them a story how they were all trained to be Batman and some delusional fantasy. Uh, and then they tell her that the doctor will learn the truth soon. And uh, that's the end, uh, the end of the backup. There's a lot to go over here. Um, before we get into the Joker elements, let's deal with the reveal on the last page then. Uh, we get the Batman goes to the Court of Alice for help. Um, we see that he's talked to Dick Grayson, but he's got a lot of friends in the world. Do you think Batman would, would kind of have this step and go at this point to the Court of Owls looking for answers from a group that notoriously lies to everybody? Here, here's the thing. I think that, honestly, despite the fact that Batman has friends everywhere, despite the fact that Batman has allies who, you know, from other planets and other countries, and he's got his own allies in Gotham City... Honestly, I don't think anybody's going to know, you know, be able to give the answer that he's looking for other than the Court of Owls. I really just don't feel like it's possible. I don't feel like he can get the answer of whether the Joker has actually been around for as long as he has without going to the Court of Owls. Since they are basically in, you know, like, in any, I can't think of a simpler way to put it. They're the basically the, the biggest Gotham historians that there are. And I feel like if anybody's going to know, it would be them. So why not just cut to the chase and get to the get to them? And desperate times call for desperate measures, for sure. And and I think not only with what's going on with the city, which I think it's certainly at its lowest point since you know the Riddler and Zero Year and what was going on there, but <laughs> they. Uh, 
I mean, now, now Batman's just thrown for a loop and, and I think he's encountering things that he's never really expected before. I, I think he thought he had a handle on who Joker was to a certain extent. And now I, I think it's just completely being written. Not only, so we're very much like Batman in a way because we're on the other side of, of the book and we don't know who, you know, Joker is now. We're, and Batman is inside the book and inside the story and, and I think he feels the same way. And, you know, no one else is going to help him. And, and I think you've got to resort almost to, to the, the most powerful people here. And I almost wonder, I mean, if the next issue is just, I think in the interviews, uh, Snyder said it's going to be a quiet issue for, so it seems like perhaps there'll be a lot of info dumping. But I also wonder if the, the court is going to play a bigger role and, and, you know, in sort of, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend fashion. And, and I wonder what they think of what's going on with this city and Joker. And is there a possible team up, uh, between them? But I, I loved that they popped up at the end. I was surprised, but I think once you see it, you're like, yeah, it, it I mean, who else does he have to go to? And, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I guess I don't have an issue with them going there. Um, there is some continuity issues with the fact that I think we're seeing, not continuity probably, but in my head, I guess, because we still don't know how, how Eternal is going to turn out. Um, and I'm afraid that we're going to be starting stepping on some spoileristic ground here, um, with the endgame Court of Owls thing here as well. Uh, but I mean, I guess it does make sense. Like Dustin said, if you want, want to know the history, you go to the guys who have been around, you know, in history. I mean, heck, there's a chance that some of the talons, if, Joker really is immortal that they could they could thaw out one of the towns who'd actually had encountered him in the past. Mm. Um maybe fought him previously or, or had some dealings with him. Um first hand information in fact, which which could be, you know, there's really no other place he could get first hand information about what was going on during some of these times in, in Gotham's history. So I think it does make sense. Um I think that if there was more page count or, or more issues then this would have been a time where we would have seen him, you know, go to Cyborg or maybe something like that and try to dig it up. But I was I was okay with, with, with seeing him here, and it was a bit of a surprise. Um, and so there's a, now I have three Jokerish questions here. Um, I'm going to handle the first one, which is the most obvious one, which is, do you think the Joker is immortal, and, and why, and not, and I want to phrase it like this, not do you want him to be immortal, but do you think he is, based on what we're presented with now? Alright, so I'm not going to dive too much into discussion with this. I'm going to simply say, no, I do not believe he's immortal. Um, and I'm going, and my reasons behind it is I feel like basically this is just misdirection. We've seen Joker mess with Batman in the past. If Batman can actually get one over, or if Joker can actually get one over on Batman and make Batman contemplate whether or not this is real, isn't that what Joker is all about, messing with Batman? That's all I'm going to leave safe for now. I think that this is a very difficult question because all the evidence is pointing to yes. And I think that's where the, the, where, you know, Dustin is obviously saying that a misdirection could be a good thing because we're all assuming, I mean, all of this talk, all of this scientific talk, uh, you know, connection to Savage and Rachel Ghoul, um, and, uh, and I think it certainly explains the, cause when I was reading it, little light bulb went on above my head about, well, if he's self-healing, then that sure does explain his face, kind of. Um, I am also going to say no, 
because I almost think that there are different jokers throughout the ages somehow and that there's actually that it's not just been one sort of accidental dive into an ace chemicals vat but um there's sort of this this legion that sounds bad though because the court of owls have popped up but there is just this weird secret um cult i don't even know how to ex- of of jokers popping around and but because it seems more realistic, even though this is a comic book, I, I'm going to say that that there are many different Jokers throughout history, but he's not immortal. I think that he is. I think you, that it's. Okay. I, I, I think that as presented here, I think he is, and I can. He is immortal. Yeah, I, well, okay. I believe he's he's Just been around for a couple hundred years. I don't know okay. if he's, he's like Vandal Savage old, but I think he's been around for a long time. Uh. But see, the way you phrased that is kind of interesting, because the way you phrased that was, I think he is, because of the way it's presented here. Right. Well, I'm, I'm getting there. I even got okay. a follow-up. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Come on, oh, gosh. Oh, no. Come on. I've even got a follow-up. It's all tied together, son. Come okay. on. Okay. okay. <laughs> because the way it's it's presented here, I do think that he's immortal. I think that this is something that, Snyder wants to do. I think this is something he's been given the free reign to do. And I think it's, it's because at the, at this point in time, this is where the reaction state's going to be. So my follow up to this, which was the only reason it will make anything that we've just said make sense is what do you want the Joker to be? Immortal or not? Here's the thing. I, I don't want the Joker to be immortal. I feel like even giving the, even, even putting it out there that the Joker is immortal in some ways, is answering questions that I don't feel like we should get answers to, if that makes any sense. Okay. Because basically the Joker has always been this character where, you know, yeah, the killing joke kind of showed this, this, you know, what, how the Joker could have become, but we've heard, you know, we've seen over the years, even since the killing joke, multiple stories where we hear different accounts of what actually happened or different versions of what actually happened, you know, um, so one thing has always seemed to stay the same, which is he falls in that chemical at Ace Chemical, or he falls in the vat at Ace Chemicals, and that's what makes him so pale. But like, outside of that, there's always different versions. You know, you know, the movie The Dark Knight, you know, he gave like five or three or four different stories about how he got the scars on his face throughout the movie. And the whole idea behind that is, you know, you don't know what, where he came from. Telling us that he's immortal and that he has been around since the beginning of basically Gotham City, I feel like, no, I don't want to know that. You know, that's basically, and, and the thing is, like, if this was just, you know, a story that was popping up in Legends of the Dark Knight, the digital first series that just tells random Batman stories, fine. The fact that this is being told by Scott Snyder means this is the direction that they will go if this is what, if it is what he's saying and he is immortal, the direction that they go with this character for, you know, who knows until they decide to do the next reboot will be this. And I'm not, a, I'm not liking that at all. Yeah, Cause it will be, it will become, if this is not something that's revealed as a joke, this will be part of the Bible, right? Period. Yeah. It has to be. And that's the thing. Well, I guess if he's immortal, perhaps he knew the Waynes before. Maybe he was like the first butler, and then he got fired, and then they brought in Alfred. 
Or maybe he was Joe Chill. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. no. Uh, yeah, so going back to uh, what Dustin said, you know, my favorite story of all time, the killing joke. Oh, yeah. With all the, yeah, I know. With all those, uh, those things, I mean, the thought is, even connecting to Dark Knight, is that it's a very multiple choice life that he leads and that he's presenting to people that to whom he speaks about his life. And it's really up to the reader slash person who's listening to his stories to choose. And I think if you say he's immortal, we lose our ability to choose and, and our option to choose. And, and we're just given, this is it, you know, this, this is how it is. So I don't want him to be immortal. Uh, though I think, I don't know why, but I would really just love to know how his face got healed up. And that's like one thing that I just really want answered by the end of this end game. It's probably like the worst detail to look for ever amidst everything else. But I also think making him immortal puts him in a different plane of villains and characters, if that makes sense. I feel like connecting him to, Savage and Rachel Ghoul like just puts him in a in a in a place that he should not be, and uh, not you know fan favorite that kind of thing, but just the the type of villain that he is. I feel like he's stepping out of of where he truly belongs, and I don't I don't like that as a as a Batman fan. I think that you know he has a very particular status, and he should stay to that particular wrong on the uh on the ladder. So that's my why I I would prefer him to not be immortal. But if Let's, it answers questions then, you know, what can we do? But see, here's the thing. Looking at it from the like what you were just saying, it takes him to a different status. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, Batman is, you know, he's a normal man. He is just a normal man. He, you know, he has amazing skills and abilities. But he doesn't actually have any superpowers. He's not immortal himself. He can die. And if the entire intent of Snyder's story is to basically get to, you know, this whole future's end universe where Bruce is, you know, he, you know, that's, it all comes back to now that we see the Corvallis pop up again. And there's all this different reference, there was references to the death of the family in this mm-hmm. issue. I'm starting to feel like Snyder, everything that Snyder has written from the very beginning of the New 52, not including Black Mirror, which was pre-New 52, everything that he's written regarding Batman and Bruce Wayne as Batman is intertwined to tell one ginormous story. And I think we've talked about this before, but the one thing that you, that I'm, I keep coming back to is that story that he did in Detective 27 last year. It was just about a year ago that he did that story, and it was basically, he did that story where Bruce is, he, it's set in the future, and he gets to a certain age, and then he dies, and a new clone pops out, and that's how he deals with making sure there's always a Batman. Mm-hmm. And the, it was the question of, you know, can there be a, can the world go on without a Batman? That's been, that, that question's been asked multiple times in the past, but, Snyder answered the question. No, the world cannot go out, cannot go on without Batman. There always has to be a Batman. So he has Bruce Wayne clone himself every whatever 15 years or however long it takes before he is no longer, you know, at the peak of his performance and create, and then starts all over again. 
And the thing is, I keep thinking to myself, it's, it goes to that immortality. If, if Joker is immortal, Batman is not immortal. So then Batman himself has to start questioning whether or not, you know, it almost is like it's leading to, if the Joker is immortal, then he has to make himself immortal. How can he do that? Start cloning himself. Get to the point where Snyder already wrote that story in Detective Comics 27. That's the thing I keep thinking of. Because, realistically, putting the Joker as an immortal, Batman has no chance. No chance at all. I mean, like, how many stories have we seen over time? Obviously, these were all pre-New 52, but how many stories have we seen where Batman has to, you know, he wants to kill the Joker... He's, he's faced with this, you know, choice to kill the Joker or let him live. And he's always let the Joker live. He doesn't ever kill the Joker. So the question is, if the Joker is immortal, obviously at that point, if the Joker is immortal and that's how Snyder's writing it, that means everything pre New 52 is completely wiped. This is completely a redo of the Joker because it wouldn't have mattered. Joker would have, you know, wanted to make it make a point to get into Batman's head and say you you can kill me as many times as you want it doesn't matter because I can't die I just feel like it's wiping too much if he is well <clears throat> it's funny I got a point that I'm going to have to follow up with you on that I personally hope that this is the Joker that we see it here I hope he's immortal I hope this is the, the directing moving forward just because I think it's different um, the reality is we all know that if you don't like what's going on in continuity right now, just wait a couple years and it'll get wiped away. And we know that's true. And I'm not even trying to make a joke about it. Um, but we know that if, if Snyder decides to do this, if they want to change this or reset it or go back to the status quo in two or three years, then they'll just do it. Um, so I don't worry about it affecting the future too much. I think that this would be a viable, I mean, as Batman's, changed over time i don't think his, his this villain especially may have changed enough i mean you remember batman as he's originally presented back in the 60s 70s 80s and early 90s compared to the batman we have here today he's got an he's got with well, the remnants of batman inc he now has multiple robins and x robins that are out there fighting on the side his technology is greater than ever he's got powerful friends in the justice league i mean this isn't although the changes to Batman haven't been as wholesale as what we're being offered with the Joker. The Batman of today is, is in every way superior to the Batman of 15 years ago, as far as the things he has at his side. Now I know they take steps by trying to make him broke from time to time and things like that. But the reality is he's a more formidable hero than he was 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, even with the believable level of technology based on what we have today, I think this could be an attempt to make the Joker a credible threat to Batman again where he is something dark and mysterious and something that's not easily, easily stopped. Um, now, Dustin, you brought up the idea that this, you believe that this impacts pre-New 52 stories greatly. And I guess my biggest question is... No, 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 no. I'm not saying that it, I'm not, I want to clarify before you ask the question. I'm not saying that it impacts. I'm saying that if, it's, this is, if they decide that this is the way the Joker is, it is basically, this is a completely different Joker than what we've seen in the past. This is not like, oh, we're going to, you know, pretend like all those stories in the past happened, like we've heard so many times Snyder himself say. We can't pretend that those stories still existed. 
if this is who the Joker is? Well, I mean, if the Joker never really had an origin, and there's a lot of people that think that the Killing Joke origin still to this day was not real, that it was one he made up or or whatever. I'm, I've always been one that changed my opinion over time. I used to think that it wasn't, that it was his origin, and then when I got older, I realized that it wasn't in, in my own mind. So does him, does this really change the Joker, though? I mean, I mean, we changes his personality, but does the fact having this longer origin, I mean, I, I don't think that Snyder will flesh it out if he does end up having this immortality strain into him, for lack of a better word. I think we still won't know where he came from. We'll just know he's been around a lot longer. And since he never had a definitive origin, isn't this just kind of stretching his lifespan without changing the origin of the character? But, but how does it not change the character? Batman now knows that this character is now immortal. He cannot die. So he couldn't die anyway. I mean, okay, because okay, yeah, that's right. Trying to kill him ba- for seventy-five years, right? Because Batman's because Batman's never tried to kill him. Okay, fine, I get it. But the thing is, what I'm what I'm saying is, looking at it from this idea that Batman is not Batman would be left with the the the, the he'd have to face the you know, the reality that the Joker is going to outlive him. Yeah. That no matter what happens, the Joker is always going to be there, plaguing Gotham. How could Batman continue on? Well, does he need to, though? I mean, isn't that in a lot of the ways what people like Dick and Tim and Damien have always been there to fulfill? According to who? Snyder or the rest of the writers? Because Snyder doesn't even use these characters. I well, get true. That, you know, I, I, you know, and I, I'm going to say this now because I, 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 because it's something that I felt very strongly about when I read the issue on uh, Wednesday when it came out. I think it's extremely weird how Dick hits this little cameo in the book and Dick brings up, you know, hey, you know, why don't you bring in Red Robin and Tim, Red, or, yeah. and Red Hood and Batgirl? Call them in, help you, and he's like, no, I want them all out of the city. But he has absolutely no problem having Julia and Duke Thomas go out in Gotham by themselves and just tells them to act like mice and nothing happens to them. Well, don't you think this is what you we saw in the interview we talked about on the last cast? That Snyder's doesn't like playing with those characters. I mean, right, and and, the th- and when he was asked the question, you know, I you know I have no intention of using Damien. Duke Thomas is this character that he had appear in Batman Zero Year, and now Duke Thomas, and it was also the character that the he had as the future Robin in uh, Batman in the Future's End in one of the Future's End stories this past September. So I don't know, you know, and. We talked about this on Wednesday when the issue came out. You and me were texting back and forth. Yep. And it basically just feels like he is, he's, he's trying to basically wipe all this stuff that happened before and start something his own. And, you know, the thing is, I'm not complaining about it, but I just don't like the fact for, you know, up until Zero Year was about to come out, all we kept hearing from himself was all those previous stories, they all still happened. Everything still happened. We're not changing the origin. We're not changing anything. You know, it's just, we're just telling new stories. Snyder himself said that for the longest time. Zero Year came around. He sat there and said, well, the reason why I, 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 I'm doing Zero Year is because DC wanted to do a new Batman origin story. And if I didn't do it, who else would have? And I wanted, I wanted to do it because I wanted to do it justice. Okay. 
That makes sense. Now we're changing the origin of the Joker. You don't want to use these characters that have already existed for, you know, decades, you know, with Tim or Barbara or Dick. You don't want to use, or even Damien, who obviously has not been around as long, but you don't want to use any of those characters except, you know, the one time you do use them is basically, uh, yeah, I'm bringing you all into the story, but then you're all going to disappear. You're all going to disappear and you don't want to have anything to do with me for at least a year and a half. But, like, the thing is, I just feel like he's wiping everything clear. Death of the Family was getting rid of all of the allies. Zero Year was wiping his initial origin clean and changing small things here and there. Obviously, I, honestly, I didn't really have a problem with Zero Year as much. There wasn't that big of, there wasn't that major changes that really were like, oh my god. Yeah. Now we've got this Joker thing. And if this turns out to not be a misdirection, I honestly am going to be pretty pissed. Because it just comes back to, he's setting everything up for his Batman universe going forward. Not the 75 years of the Batman universe has previously existed. And that's the thing that bugs me. It bugs me that, you know, Duke Thomas is playing a bigger role in the, in, in Batman than Tim Drake. Or even Dick Grayson for that matter. I mean, Dick Grayson appeared on like two pages and Dick, and Duke Thomas has appeared, he appeared in issue, last issue, this issue, he appeared during Zero Year. I, I just have a problem with all of these characters that he's creating as these fresh characters because he just doesn't want to work with the ones that have existed in the past. And I don't know if it's him who's saying that or if it's DC saying you know, we want to, we want to wipe the, the slate clean. We want to, you know, do new characters. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like that's what's happening. And I'm, I know I'm ranting, but. And I think it comes at a bad time. I, I think it would work in, in this particular story if Dick had said, you know, why don't you call these people in? And Batman says, no, if Duke hadn't been there, because I, I think story wise, it makes sense that Batman would say no if he doesn't want to get the other people involved because he feels like now it's just reached this new level and it's just uber dangerous. He's not even calling Dick in. Dick is in his own way protected because he's with Spiral. Uh, but it doesn't make sense with Duke being there. I was super actually confused why he like so easily ushered Duke into the Batcave anyways, which uh, that actually bothered me a lot. Um, but because of, you know, Duke and Julia running around, I, I think it does point to writer preference and, and, you know, wanting to use, uh, these original characters more. I, well, I guess, yeah, Julia would be since eternal and stuff. Well, doesn't this go back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago? Isn't it fairly clear that if you were just reading this version of Batman, that he has every intention of making Duke Thomas Robin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't but, I mean, I'm not trying see, to. But the yeah. problem is, it, there's twenty. That would Robins. be fine. That would be. <laughs> it would be completely fine for him to make this his his Robin. But he continues to reference all of these other characters that he just refuses to use. Mm-hmm. You know. That's one of the reasons why I was so upset about the use of Harper Rowe initially when in his in his run in Batman was why are we getting thrown this character of Harper Rowe when we have other characters out there that he's not using? You know, why is why why do we need an, another character when there's characters out there that aren't being used? And now here we have Duke Thomas, which is probably gonna be my new Harper Rowe for the next two years. I knew it. I knew it. Nailed it. But it literally comes, it just comes down to, like, why do we have to keep introducing new characters and putting them so mainstream 
dead center in the heart of the Batman universe when we already have characters that exist that are being written piss poor everywhere else. And, and okay, and I and I I, I okay, I'm going to rephrase that because say it. not every character is being written piss poor everywhere else. I'm just saying there's characters where Tim, outside of Eternal, he's not involved with the Batman universe at all. No. Dick, you know, in Grayson, outside of the occasional uh, come in, Mister Malone. He's he's never he's not involved in the Batman universe. Barbara's doing her own thing in Burnside right now. Even before Burnside, when Gail Simone was doing it. Eternal. Yeah, but they uh, pop up in Eternal. It's like Eternal because it's got Scott Snyder's name on it. Somehow it's supposed to like make everything okay that he's not using the characters in his own title, and he keeps introducing new characters. I just I can't get over the idea of with all the history that this character has. We have to keep introducing new characters to be front and center. We keep focusing on Julia in Endgame, even though it's been made very clear that Alfred is in the cave. Why? Because we don't want to use Alfred? So we're getting rid of Alfred. We're going to make a new Robin. We have Harper Rowe, who hasn't appeared. I'll give her that. She hasn't appeared in Endgame yet. But we have Harper Rowe. I mean, like, what is this weird fascination with, like, eliminating all the established characters from the Batman universe just to create new ones. Well, also, too, one of the things, and everyone knows I'm the biggest Snyder fan in the world, but there's a lot of this as copying things that aren't necessary. Like, Harper is supposed to be this tech person, but that was always the role that Tim as Red Robin would have fulfilled. Right? So I don't see... and I don't. Like a, Harper is basically a combination of Oracle and Tim Drake. Yes. with Yeah, so they can walk. I would almost yeah. say Tim and Steph... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, the tech and then, obviously, she doesn't have the skills, which we're going to talk about in Eternal, certainly, and kind of the person who is not necessarily wanted. Yeah. I I just, it it seems to me, like, and this, what I'm about to sound, maybe sound blasphemous, (laughs) but, and I I really enjoy everything that goes on in Snyder's books, but I'm starting to think that maybe it would have been better for all of, of the universe and I mean this in the best possible way it can be taken. If this was like a big giant Earth One series, if that makes sense, yeah. Like, because the storytelling isn't bad by any stretch. Like, you may disagree with what no, it's going, but it's right, not done. I, it's not right. poorly done. I agree. I agree completely. I, I think that the writing is great. I think I love the art. It's just what is actually happening and how it contradicts everything from the previous history. Well, and, and, and it's really starting to feel with like what's going on in Eternal and in Batman and Robin on top of that, that Batman and Robin and Eternal are operating on their own continuity, completely divorced from Batman, the main comic. So, um, and then the last thing to hit on really fast is what in the world is Joker doing in the water? Has anybody got any clue what's going on with that? I actually think that he's swimming to the Batcave. That makes most sense. That does pretty good. Dustin? The, the only problem with that theory is that He's not in the Batcave right now. Because at this point in time, I believe Arkham Manor is still in existence. And he's operating out of the Owl's Nest. So if he's swimming to the Batcave, I don't know what would he actually be trying to get there. Um, Sorry. Sorry to step on that. I I honestly... Gosh! Wait a minute. No, no. Isn't in this episode, isn't Julia and Duke are in the cave? No, he says... Take them back, but I mean, I'm assuming they're working out of the same place. No, he says, he says, and take them to the cave. But he could be calling the owls oh, as the cave. Okay, true, true. I just kind of thought that, that, that the foreshadowing of the Joker in the water 
was something to do with the quarter owls. You know how we see Batman come out from under the water? I just kind of thought that the Joker was going to pop up right next to him in the next issue. So no. that's where he was swimming. Party. Maybe, I, I have no idea. I maybe have the Joker's the a talent. Idea. I have no clue what. Oh God! Oh God! Way to throw that in. Uh, I'm just Ed, gonna. I'm like, okay. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna. I'm, I'm not even gonna <laughs> dignify that comment. He's gonna be made by Scott. It actually <laughs> does. Easily explain that. No, it it, works. it could. It could <laughs> explain a lot of things, but I don't want to dive into that. You know, I do. It was said in one of the interviews that Snyder did that he is swimming to somewhere. Yeah. Where is he swimming? No clue. I don't think it's the Batcave. I don't think it's the Core of Owls. I, I feel like he's swimming, I don't know, like, can't even think of where it could be. Like, maybe through the harbor to some, like, remote place inside the harbor. I, I don't know. Well, it's, it's a cave. The Batcave's still there, right? Underneath Arkham Manor? Yes, at least that's the way it's described in Arkham Manor. In the in the title, Arkham basically he just fills the giants, uh, you know, where the grandfather clock was. It's filled with cement all the way down, so that there's no way that anybody could get into the Batcave. Maybe he's just the Joker's been operating out of the cave, and he's free to hush. Oh God! Now we're messing the continuities up again. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, I feel like you guys are just messing with my head now. <laughs> He's a talent, Dustin. Believe it. He is. Uh, he's been working with us for years, Batman. That's going to happen. Oh, he's one of ours? Couldn't you just see it? His immortality is not a joke. We gave it to him. <laughs> All you got to do is freeze him. Oh, no. Sorry, Dustin. We just ruined your night. You want to go make yourself a drink before we... Yeah, I might have <laughs> oh, to. <wait. laughs> We're good. Uh, but other than that, I mean, uh, I could yap on about this issue for an hour, but I guess we got to stop somewhere, right? And you know we're going to bring it up as the course of the rest of our discussions. It's going to happen. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, it's. I'm sure next month we will have a similar discussion. Now, is next month the is that's the last part of Endgame, right? No, no. There's 39 and then 40. Four, 39 the and 40. Part. Okay, all right, that makes more sense because I was like, I was thinking that next month was the last one, and I'm like, there's no way in the world they can wrap this up. In the so. All right, so Batman number 38. Now, just going off of pure storytelling and art, not conflicts of history, I'm going to give this four out of five. You're going to give us four and a half out of five. And I will give it four out of five. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four and a half, so that's going to give Batman number 38 a total of four out of five batteries. Let's move it to our next book, Batman and Robin. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Number 38, superpower, fly, Robin, fly. So it seems like perhaps we'll spotlight each of those superpowers. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Ray, and colorist John Coates. Damien is super excited and pumped, and he's ready to go. But, hey, Bruce is sleeping. Uh, but to Bruce's annoyance, Damien wakes him up and insists that it's time to go out on patrol. And Bruce basically points and tells uh, him and Titus to wait for him in the ca- in the cave. He gets dressed, and then Bruce and Damien get into the Batmobile, and Alfred reminds Damien that he should remain conscious of property damage that he could do with his newfound powers. And Damien comments that he'd like to go out on patrol on his own now that he has powers, but Bruce says, no, no, we are the dynamic duo, which is actually very sentimental since he's been alone for a long time. Now, out on patrol, they encounter a gang of thugs who attempt to fire automatic weapons on Batman, and Robin leaps in front of the bullets, and they harmlessly bounce off of him. I think we've 
We should have invited Michael Bailey on here. Even as the gun keeps firing, Robin walks straight toward the gunman and crushes his weapon in his fist, along with his fist, before throwing his victim into a nearby car. And Batman is pretty upset about this. He says that's enough violence, and he tries to get back in the car, and then Robin tries to fly back to the cave. But Batman grabs him by his boot strings and uh, puts him in the passenger seat. And he tells Damien that he won't be allowed to go on patrol for the rest of the week. So he's basically grounded. And Damien says that he feels like he's being punished for having powers that he never asked for. And Batman explains that there is a difference between risk and unnecessary risk like Damien is taking. That night, Damien is plagued by nightmares of his mother and grandfather, which I would say are very two very creepy pages, demanding to know why he isn't dead and reclaiming him as an Al Ghul rather than a Wayne. And he wakes and weeps right up through the ceiling of his room, nearly startling Alfred from his tea and reading in bed. And uh, he ends up going outside, turns down some hot chocolate that Alfred offers him. And he goes out in uniform to his mother's gravestone, and he scratches her name into it with his finger. And he talks to her, and um, basically, you know, going back to the fact that uh, she had wanted him dead, but she was the one who died, and uh, he's back now, so she had failed. Alfred talks about all this to Batman, because he's watching, and Damien flies off, and Alfred's worried about this, but Batman tells him that he used a special fluid that he dosed his son's orange juice with to track him via GPS, and Alfred suggests that he just give Damien some space to reflect. And so Damien flies to the island where it all started, where little Damien was created in a test tube. And he's pretty angry. He destroys the lab equipment and uh, the other sons of Batman before diving down into the sea. And he encounters Atlantis and demands to talk with Aquaman. And he wants to basically be reunited with the the monsters that Aquaman has kept down there. And they float up inside of a bubble with the help of some dolphins. It's a very interesting scene. And uh, he picks them up. He puts them on a, on the surface of the island. He opens the bubbles. And before they start to fight, of course, he just addresses them and says that they're basically brothers and they shouldn't hurt each other. And they are him and he is them. And the island is theirs now, so it's basically Lord of the Flies. And uh, they're free now. So they wander off, and he puts back his mask and flies up into the sky. And, oh, next, up and away. Okie dokie. You know, I was thinking, after I read this, I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if I should ask a question like, what comparisons and, and differences can you find between Robin and Superman. But then I thought that Dustin would be upset that I brought that up. So I decided to move on. Why but would I be upset? I don't know. because Well, because it's a Batman podcast. and Why do you always say that? Because I get mad when you bring up Marvel. Superman is not Marvel. I, I like Marvel. I like, I like Shazam. He's a cool character. <laughs> okay. Uh, so here we go. So what we have seen here in this issue and how he uses his powers, what concerns or thoughts do you have for Damien in his foreseeable future? 
in the future of this story, just with, you know, what we saw and, and how he's been using his powers. And even if you want to bring in those dreams that he had, which were really unsettling. And I feel like they're going to play a, a part in his future as well. I feel like there's going to be some growing pains. I mean, obviously we've seen, we saw them in here. We, we said this before when we first found out that he was going to have superpowers, there's going to be some growing pains. You know, he's going to feel a little resentment towards uh, Batman because Batman's not letting him do all of the stuff that he could do because Batman's concerned that he doesn't want to control it. Proof in point, this issue, he's slamming the guy, you know, between two cars just mm-hmm. because. So he needs to learn how to control it. I feel like at some point Superman will get brought in and maybe, maybe I'm just thinking this or maybe it was actually part of a solicitation for a future issue. I'm not sure, but I feel like Superman should be brought in and like kind of mentor Damien. I don't know how much Bruce would like that, but I feel like something's going to happen where that would be a perfect opportunity for, you know, something to happen where it shows a conflict where Damien starts building a relationship with Superman because of the powers. Mm-hmm. Bruce has to deal with, you know, he has to, you see his reaction to that. Where is this going to go? I mean, I, I think that in the, in the short term, as far as this little arc of stories we're going to have here, I think this is just going to be kind of the standard, um, coming of age power story that we've seen with any type of, of comic story we've seen in the past where someone all of a sudden gets new powers. I think we'll see Damien testing his limits. I think we'll see him hurt some more people on accident. Uh, probably maybe a little more severely. Hopefully no more deaths on his hands. I think the kids had enough confirmed kills at his hands already. Um, and we'll see him moving forward with him being able to use the powers in a way that will allow us to craft and fit more narratives moving forward. Um, I think it's, I think that's really what we're going to see here. Um, it's Dustin on, on the Superman thing. Again, I'll just voice my, my opinion that although I do think maybe a tutor of some court is in some sort is necessary, I think that it would be a much more powerful narrative to have Supergirl with her backstory of the fish out of water who wasn't mm-hmm. the shining horse of Superman. I think that would actually, um, work, work better to have Supergirl here. And then hopefully if Eternal wraps up we could see some Batgirl, Supergirl, Damien stuff, which would be reminiscent of the old days with Stephanie Brown, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I would, I think that's what this is. It's going to be a typical, let's get five to have Damien find his place in the world with his new power set. Yeah, I, as I was reading it, I wondered if we could just have a, a Damien solo series and it'd be like Smallville, but with Damien. And no. uh, you don't think so? No. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, I, I think with what we've seen here, um, my, my concern is, uh, for him anyways, that we're going to revert back to a previous form of the Bruce Damien relationship. Um, just because Bruce is very much out of his depth, which I think he was when he first met his son and, and when he came back from the dead with, with Final Crisis, even if that happened still. Um, and, and, you know, he was very violent. And now, so now we, we have Damien back from the dead. So it's a reversal of that. And he's violent, but not, I mean, it's not purposeful, but it's just that, uh, he needs to learn how to, I think, manage his strength and everything. Um, but, but I love how he, he still has that childlike wonder where he's just super excited about things and he wants to use these powers. Uh, but, but I think there may be something deteriorating within him because I think these dreams are dangerous visions of, of, uh, I don't know what could happen. I mean, I know you, 
they're just, they were disturbing in general, but I, I feel like something is going on within him as well, just besides the power. Uh, my next thing is, uh, just about him freeing his, the, these monsters, as they were called, his brethren. Um, I mean, do you think they could play any part in the future? And, uh, because they are his family, do you have any other thoughts now that he did this and, and even carving and talking to Talia and the visions again? Oh, your thoughts about what could be going on in the future and maybe what he's looking for with his family slash Talia? Monsters, brethren, are they going to play a part? And uh... I honestly don't feel like they're going to play any part. I feel like he's just, he's he's letting them have this island. He's letting them be free because he feels they deserve it. Mm -hmm. They should have never been. He was the only one to come out that was, you know, normal, I guess, in some ways. Um, and because of that, he feels like even though they weren't necessarily the one to become him, they deserve their chance to have freedom as well. So I feel like that's that, you know, that's what he did. Now, relating to the future and if they have anything to do with Talia, I don't feel like they will, but I feel like Talia will play a, a role going forward. I just don't know how much. I mean, she appears in that dream, whether mm-hmm. or not that was just part of his dream or if it was some sort of, I'm sure it was probably just part of his dream. But um I feel like she is going to play a role. We just, who knows how much. I mean, it was hinted at last, in, you know, in the issue last month. Where she was when she killed those guys, and she yeah. had no, she she had lost all of her memories. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing something's going to happen one way or the other with her. Yeah, I think that the um, mutant mutant demons um, are just. I think that was supposed to be just symbolic, you know. Now, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Tomasi, really, only Tomasi, if we had him, you know, go back to this island as a maybe a place of solitude or something. Um, but I don't, I don't think we'll see a lot from him. With Talia, I mean, yeah, I think that just to, you know, to kind of co-sign, I mean, the only point of putting her in the last pages of the last issue would be if they had something immediately planned for her. Um, and with her, her memory wiped, I think this could be a very interesting storyline now because you won't have some of the pre-existing animosity. And, and let's face it, if, if Bruce has got anything that he's done with his women over the years, it's his willingness to forgive almost too much and to try to reform people. Uh, so I think you could have a really good story there with Bruce and Talia, which is now that she does have a clean memory, um, him trying to reform her and make her a quote unquote good person and, and make a family unit with him and Damien. And I think that, that that could be a really interesting story. Yeah, I think it does all come down to who finds her first, though, because this was Raish's plan all along to a certain extent was to raise them from the dead, but have them a clean slate so that he could really indoctrinate them in the way that he wanted them without any um taint, I guess, from from Batman or anything. So if Raish, I think there are two potentials. I think the the romantic side of it is that Batman finds Talia and they're able, like, it's this interesting, maybe the book turns into Batman and Robin and Mother. <laughs> Batman family. Again. Family family. It's the only time we get our family, the Bat family. Um, So, you know, and, and that happens and, and it has its own unique sort of domestic struggles. Or on the other side, Raish has her, he finds her, makes her into this weapon that's even worse than what we were seeing in Batman Inc. 
And, uh, she really goes after, you know, Batman and Robin because she has no really connection to them except what Raish has, has brainwashed her with. And I would almost like it to be this, this epic battle between the two of them. And Damien actually uses the brethren that he frees to fight against her because she created them and she created them into these hateful monsters, I think. But to see all of them fight alongside Damien, I think would be an awesome thing. So I liked that he freed them, but I, I almost hope that they, they play a big part in like a really epic climax. All right. So Batman and Robin number 38, I'm going to give a tool of three and a half out of five batterings. Um, I'm going to go a tad bit lower. Um, I'm going to go two and a half out of five, uh, for me. Wow. And I'm going to go 3.5 out of five. All right, and over on the website, Ryan gave it three, so that's going to give Batman and Robin, number 38, a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal, number 42, script by Kyle Higgins, art by Jed Doherty, Horhen Suzuka, Roger Robinson. Nailed it. Alright, the issue starts off where we see basically a one-page recap of what's happening. Gotham City is now not not just the teenagers, but there's other people who are now being infected with the nano. Um, and we see Mad Hatter in, in front of the warehouse, and we see Harper Row jumping from building to building when she tumbles and falls. Um, she explains to herself that she, one, has a recording explaining why she's talking to herself. She's recording her entire mission. And she explains that she basically got something from the last time she was with uh, Cullen, and she basically created this thing inside of her suit that it makes it so that the nano can't get her. Uh, meanwhile, we see on the other side of Gotham, Stephanie Brown is in, her, in a bedroom. And it's at her mom's house. And her mom wears a tracksuit. And her mom explains, I never knew your father was going to go that far. We're going to get out of Gotham very soon. I'm never letting you out of my sight again. No waffles. No waffles, just tracksuits. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Going Sopranos up in here now. I'll explain it later. But, uh... Uh, meanwhile, Harper Rose, she gets to, she gets in the warehouse, she realizes the nano cannot affect her, but, uh, the weird things that pop out of the people can, and she has no real skills to fight them off. So she decides she's gonna play, uh, again, she's gonna play up to Mad Hatter and says, uh, you know, I love electronics and you're like a, you're like a god to me. I mean, you are awesome. You're controlling everything from that hat. And he says, well, actually, yes, I am. She goes, oh, really? She steals the hat, sticks it on her own head, and says it looks better on me. She decides to turn it on and decides to make the antenna thing blow up, making everybody who's been affected by the nano no longer affected. Uh, meanwhile, Batman just randomly appears and decides, no, Jervis, you're not getting away. Who put you up to this? And what do you know? It's just another invitation. Um, as Batman swoops off, he says to Red Robin, I guess we have uh, a lot to talk about, especially her. Um, later, we see Harper on the side of a building. She says, Red Robin approaches, and she says, I'm sure you're mad. And he goes, no, it's not that I'm mad, but I'm not necessarily happy either. I just wish you would have really thought about what you were doing before you put on the mask. 
And she says, I didn't have a choice. I needed to stop. It was either me to help or not. And the reality of it is that I need to do it. So it was my choice. Nobody forced me into it. Meanwhile, on the other side of Gotham, Stephanie gets up for a late night snack. She goes in the fridge. There's not anything there. She walks in the room and she finds that her mom is tied up. And uh, we see that Selena Kyle uh, says, uh, lucky for me, I like a challenge. It's been hard to find you. And she uh, knocks her out. And we see next up, Cat's Paw. Looks like Selena lost some buttons on her blouse. I don't think she's had buttons on the blast since she became a crime lord. All right, so I guess two things happen in this. I mean, we have the two stories, the Harper story and the Stephanie story. And so I'm going to start with Steph just because there's more to talk about with Harper. The the tracksuit comment that I kept saying, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just because of the art that they're modeling it off of, The you know, initially when... when uh, Crystal Brown first appeared in Eternal. I don't know if it's just that they're obsessed with making sure continuity it sticks with what how it originally appeared, how she originally appeared in the issue. But she went from being a nurse who you know, and maybe in her you know thirties, maybe forties in the in in Batgirl pre New Fifty Two to basically seemingly having gray hair and wearing tracksuits. I don't know what it is. I mean, her her mom was a doctor in, you know, pre-New 52. I don't know what she is here because we don't know enough about her. But, like, I just, I don't understand. I don't, like, the thing was, it almost came across as, like, she's like, oh, yeah, I hired Killshot to, to, to save you because I had actually had him protecting me. And I'm sitting here thinking, this comes across as, like, the biggest load of junk I've ever heard. Like, she was literally telling Cluemaster, no, she's here. You need to go get her. And kill her. And if she didn't realize how far she was going to go, then why would she have sold him that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So I felt like it was all just this big ruse, but then it didn't matter because then Selena shows up at the end. So thoughts on the entire situation with her mom, Selena coming in conveniently. Do you not trust people that wear track suits, Dustin? I don't like track suits. (laughs) I don't like track suits except unless they're on a track. Well, I, think no, it, I don't. I don't like track suits on a track. <laughs> <laughs> That's strong. He's all natural when he's yeah. running on the track. Uh, I think it's obvious that her her mom is in some type of athletic apparel sales now. Um, it seems to make the most sense with the track suit. She's just hawking her product. Um, she's jumping from clue master to sports master. That's what it is. Yep. I mean, that would <laughs> that would be the. The twist that Eternal needs right now. Um, <laughs> Sportsmasters behind it all. Yeah, that would be this like one of the oh goody. You know, I never saw that one coming. I don't know. I don't know why they felt the need to change a character. I don't know why we felt the need to have this issue. To be honest with you, um, I assume that it was just to show us all that Steph. I, I mean, that like, hey, look, Stephanie's mom's not a because I mean, as she's originally portrayed, and I went back and now that the first Eternal trade is out and it's here on my bookshelf, I was oh. flipping looking through it earlier. Um, and she's portrayed, like Dustin said, in, in her first go around, which I didn't like because I really like Batgirl Volume 3 a lot, right? So I didn't like her mom being portrayed as that, but in the, the front of Eternal, she's portrayed like, like you said, Dustin, like, get her and kill that girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so this comes off as disingenuous or she was being disingenuous at the start. Um, it's kind of a mess. 
I don't know it, what's going it, it's on. It's almost like they were trying to, like, they were like, oh, maybe we took that character a little too far. Maybe we actually want to use that character later on. So maybe we shouldn't have done that. So that this is their way of, like, trying to fix it. Well, it, that's the only thing that makes sense. But you can't, you can't walk a character back from, let's kill your own daughter, which is something that even, like, some of, like, like even Deathstroke wouldn't kill his own kid. You know, like, you can't walk back from, from killing your own children to, she's okay. And gonna, I mean, I just think that they're trying to walk it back too far. Maybe they're hoping that since it was, oh, I don't know, 40 issues ago, we all forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, you know? Well, um, they haven't met my wall of, uh, Yeah, I mean, maybe that's it, but, uh, I don't understand. And I'm actually, listen, I don't, I wish that it's been consistent. And I hate the inconsistency thing, but, I would rather not have Stephanie's mom be be a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Uh so I'm kind of okay with this, but it certainly doesn't make any sense with what we previously had in Eternal. Yeah, I feel I feel like when we read that first issue we even had a discussion about what oh, yeah. we thought about Ms. Brown being uh evil. Yeah. Uh I I have no problem with the tracksuit. Um I don't wear them. However, I feel like it's just her casual wear around the house. I don't think there's anything to read into. I feel like she's still uh There's nothing to read into. I was just making my disdain of tracksuits. No. Hey, gosh. You just lost at least a quarter of your listeners. I I just thought this I thought it was bad because it seemed so forced and out of left field that it was difficult to read. And you want the Steph Brown stuff to be really good if you're, you know, if you're a fan of hers. And at least there was a connection back to, I think it was, was it 40? Where, you know, she's going up against that guy and, and, you know, she's saying, you're not the first person that's been hired to, to kill me. And he said, oh, actually, I've been hired to, to protect you. And, where it was in, in that sequence with 40 and 41, remember we had seen Catwoman and she had been searching for who it was. I made the connection. I thought that Catwoman may have hired this, this person, even though, of course, you know, she had Killer Croc to do all this stuff. So it's interesting, in fact, uh, that there is that connection that, okay, perhaps the mother is, uh, trying to help her out, but it just doesn't, I mean, even, Oh, it's, it's like watching a movie and you clearly know the person is lying to the other person and they're cheating on their girlfriend. Um, or something like that. I mean, it was, it was almost tough to read for me just because I thought, Stephanie, how are you falling for this when you witnessed this moment that your mother didn't know you were watching and you saw they come out and, and all this. And it's also hard to read because, of course, you know, I love the Stephanie Brown Batgirl run and to know what their relationship was like then. So, yeah, it's it's just hard to believe either way. I almost feel like she's lying with how uh, poorly it, it comes across, but I almost wish it had never happened and we could have skipped this section and just had uh, her brought to Catwoman. I think we would have saved some things. My my thing is, I feel like what we're combination of what you both said. If you took the last issue, which was the one where Killshot took Steph, and you just skipped to forty three, which we'll get to in a minute, it it the, nothing would have it, there would have been no change. The fact that Steph is in normal clothes here, and then forty three when she's locked up at Selena's, she's in her clothes. It comes across as this was this scene that happened. This entire issue of Steph's story in this issue was never supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. 
and I got 12 and a half minutes of my life back too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just what it is. Um, the other thing, so Harper Row, um, big question here is, do you think that her debut as Bluebird was successful? Do you think that, you know, this is a memorable first appearance as the character? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, hey, I, I've been the positive person on this character. Uh, we all know that Dustin's got a little dartboard with, uh, with Harbor Rose's face on it. He throws it like during recording. Like I said, <laughs> already got re- that, that face has been replaced with Duke Thomas. Okay? Oh my goodness. That poor guy just lost his parents. Where's your sympathy? Okay, anyways. I think, I actually, I, I won't say I loved it, but I liked it. I liked it. I think they did well, as I thought. You know, when we were talking about this, how is this possibly going to work? She doesn't have the training. What's going to happen? As I thought, she had something up her sleeve, and she had tech to back her up, and and she wasn't naive just going in blindly like, you know, the other people did where they were unprotected. And uh, she messed up. I mean, she, uh, you know, well, she messed up physically where she's, I mean, that's not her forte seeing her take a tumble across the roof. I like those types of moments. I like those moments in movies where the hero gets their powers and they're stumbling for the, you know, because they're getting used to their powers. I think it's just unrealistic when someone the first time out is like, yeah, I got this. I'm going to swing on my web. That's a Spider-Man reference. Um, (laughs) But she uses her smarts and I think that's what really, you know, Harper is about and, and just sidling up to uh, Jervis and saying, oh, I'm such a fan, you know, this is my wheelhouse, I love it, and then just c- catching him off guard and, and using his own weapon to destroy everything was great. So I thought, like I said, I don't love it, but I think it was good. I, I, I enjoyed it. I think it was fine. I mean, I don't think it was particularly, I mean, it didn't have that that like memorable quality to it to me. I think Stella's right. I think it's fine. I think it served the narrative fine. But it didn't have, like, you know, you remember the first time, God, here, curious that I'm about to date myself. Um, <laughs> you, you, you remember the first time you saw Tim Drake in the Robin costume, the, the scarecrow issue? Because it was meaningful. Like, it was like, it had some punch to it, right? You remember Jason Todd's, you know, first time he wears the costume after he gets caught stealing out of the Batmobile. You remember characters' big moments in costume for the first time. It's supposed to be a big moment. Uh, even a Green Lantern or something like that, like it's a big moment. This one didn't feel like a big moment, and I, and I and I don't dislike Harper. I like the character just fine, but this didn't feel like you were going to remember it in the same vein as you had with other characters' first in costume appearance. I'll say this, and I'm just going to keep it simple. I didn't really no. have a problem with it. I like the idea. I like the idea that they had, you know, they had her mess up physically a mm-hmm. couple times. I think that worked. That made a lot of sense because honestly, like. She points out, uh, in issue 43, she has no training. She wants to learn the training and she wants to learn from Batman. Whether or not he's actually going to give her it, give it to her, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I think it's interesting that they, you know, I questioned whether or not she was going to be able to do this, how she was going to be able to go in there. And when we, on the last episode that we, when we talked about Eternal, and, you know, I think that they explained it well. I think it was a little weird that she had to self-narrate how she was doing this, and they chalked it up to she's recording her first mission. But, you know, other than that, I didn't really have a problem with it. I think it worked okay. So I'll just leave it at that. All right, so Batman Eternal number 42, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batteries. Uh, three out of five? 
And, uh, oh my gosh, are we all green? Three out of fives. Nailed it. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it three and a half. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 42 a total of three out of five veterans. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 43, script by James Tinian, art by David LaFuente. Uh, the issue starts off with Harper uh, talking to Batman, and she basically saying she's not sure how this is going to work, but we find out that Steph Brown in her spoiler costume is actually in Harper's apartment talking with her brother. Um, we then see them trying to get into a fight because it appears that Steph is, does not want anything to do with Batman and Harper's defending Batman. Uh, then we see six hours ago, we see Steph, who, as I mentioned when I was talking about it, she's in her spoiler office. For some reason, Steph, uh, Selena decided to dress, undress her and dress her back up. Let's not get dirty. It's, it is getting dirty. <laughs> All right. So then, so she wakes up Steph. And she says, listen, uh, you know something, you know who's behind all of this. And they kind of explain how she knows. It turns out that the person who told her dad exactly what to do, she knows who that is. So that, that explains why everybody's after her because she's seen the big bad. Um, we then see in the narrows around the same time, uh, we see, uh, Harper and Cullen at a video store and, uh, Tim Drake approaches and says, Harper, we need you to do a mission. You need to go into this building because uh, we need you to go into Catwoman's nightclub because she knows all of us and she can't, we're not going to be able to get in. So, But she doesn't know you, so you can get in. Um, then we need you to get this girl, Stephanie Brown. After you get the girl, then we're all good. Batman will come in and save the day. Uh She's pretty ticked about this because she says, why is I, why am I hearing about this secondhand? How come Batman can't tell me himself? And he kind of ignores it and says, uh, trust me, just do it. Um, you want to get on his good side, this is what you need to do. She specifically says, do not go in your costume. And she says, well, I'm very firm on the fact that I'm going to go in my costume. 1.30 a.m. at the nightclub, Selena's overlooking her casino that is, is, uh, drawing in the money. She's again talking to Steph when uh, there's a girl who comes in giving a password that's a couple days old. We see Selena tell her goons to throw Steph into the, the safe. We then see the scene from Batman number 28 that we saw last last early earlier last year where Batman and Bluebird are popping into the, the nightclub um, and beating the crap out of people. We then cut to Selena saying Listen, I know what you're here for. All right, Selena says, Selena then says to Steph, you have a choice. You can go, you can go with Batman or you can tell me who's behind everything. And Steph decides that she's going to go with Batman. Uh, we then cut now back to the Harper Rose apartment where Harper lets, uh, helps Steph understand how Batman can be trusted. Um, but she says, no, the re- the reality is I can't because the person I saw all those months ago, the one telling my dad what to do and how everything was going to go, the person behind everything is the guy who funds Batman, Bruce Wayne. Oh. Next up, Flight Risk. Batman Eternal number 43. Um, so 
we knew that this was probably going to be the issue, especially after, well, okay, I shouldn't say that because we, we did discuss on the last episode after we did 41 that we were getting very close to that issue where Batman 28 kind of also told the same story. This was that issue. Now I was, I went back and I took Batman 28 and I was reading it and trying to see if you could fit the certain sequences. Obviously they did it in a weird, this issue they did in a weird way with the time jumps and things like that. I'm not sure why exactly Tinian, who wrote the script, chose to do that, but it was the way it was. And there's a couple of small little things. They, Batman is adamant about the fact that he doesn't want her showing up in the costume. But then Batman comes through the same way that she does, which I find slight bit tad weird. You know, why would he even allow her to go into the nightclub if... He didn't want her in costume to begin with. But that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the only real thing I want to talk about with this issue, because a lot of this is just rehashing a lot of the stuff from the previous, you know, the Batman 28 from almost a year ago, and also some of the stuff that's just happened more recently. But we see this kind of relationship slowly building between Harper and Steph in this issue. The fact that Batman's entrusting Harper to not only bring her to her apartment, but also to try to get the information from her because Batman isn't going to do it for whatever reason. If he's too busy, he feels like he's going to scare her or whatever. But the big reveal at the end is that the person who is telling her dad and is the person who's behind everything is Bruce Wayne. So I guess we're going back to Lincoln March now. Ugh, I can't. Listen, I had a visceral reaction when I got to the last (laughs) panel. In this book, I really did because there's a point, and this isn't meant to dog eternal because I do enjoy it, but there's a point where it's like, just give me a straight answer. You know, I mean, just tell me what's going on because, we, okay, we know it's not Bruce Wayne, right? Like, we know he's not yeah. the bad guy, so we, we can instantly eliminate that. Um, Lincoln March makes the most sense. Who knows? I mean, remember, in terms of time, this, I mean, Here's a question I have to, I want to ask you guys before I can even, con- even continue with my answer. How long do we think Eternal takes from issue one to where we are in real time? You know, it's funny you say that because there was something, I can't remember which issue it was. It was 42 or 43. There was something that was said that it was re- referencing that this has all been taking over place over months. I think it was Tim said something that was like, oh, all those months ago, you know, Something happened in one of these two issues, and somebody said months, and I was like, this is taking place over months. I thought this was taking place over like a couple weeks, because if it's taking place over months, that's a lot of time. See, that's where this kind of comes into it for me, which was, did Stephanie see, but yeah, I think there's make references too to Stephanie hiding out for months in 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 the library or something. So if this happened months ago, then... The Bruce Wayne lookalike, which is the only thing we can call him because we know it's not Bruce, could have been Clayface, I suppose. It could have been, it could have been Hush after he did one of his surgeries to himself to make him look, we had that whole weird Tommy Elliott wants to be Bruce Wayne thing. We've seen him try to adopt Bruce Wayne's face before in other things, in other media, right? So maybe it's Hush that's behaving like Bruce Wayne. We know it's not Bruce Wayne, but it, it, a lot of it would go to time frame for me. Um, but I was just, I mean, I was almost, I mean, again, I get the, the point of the story, but, um, there has to be a point where you have to tell me what in the world is actually going on. 
you know. Now that you say the thing about Tommy Elliott, obviously we've seen this in the past, not just in New 52, but we've seen in the past he's made himself look like Bruce Wayne before. Yeah. Uh, more specifically during Battle for the Cowl. Um, but w- what I'm thinking about is when they brought him back to the Batcave and they have him locked up in that cell, he still has his bandages on his face. Don't tell me they would. Wait a minute. I, I'm pretty sure they, his bandages are still on his face. Um. The problem is I'm trying to remember what issue it was. No, it is. No, no, no. It's, it's, he's in that glass jar. I remember it now. And yeah, they, they, they were on his face. Um, now, if they had. So he could have very yeah. much well been, you know, looking like Bruce Wayne and he could have been the person who, went and told Cluemaster, but that doesn't actually answer any question. Well, because that would be the worst cop out of it. Because here's, here's, here's where I had a problem with this thing falling down for me personally, is, okay, if if Stephanie knows who the, the villain is behind the whole thing, then it would make sense for this kind of obscene $100 million we put on her head, right? But if the villain knows that the only thing she saw was that she thinks Bruce Wayne is behind it, why would he bother? Bruce Wayne is obviously not behind it. So if Stephanie's big secret is that she knows Bruce Wayne is behind it, that secret sucks because Bruce Wayne's not behind it. Yeah. So and that's the thing. So <laughs> all this time there's been this giant hit out on her because she knows that it's Bruce Wayne. But if it wasn't, you know, if it, if it's not Bruce Wayne, then why would the person who either way, just think of it like this. If she thinks it's Bruce Wayne, because that's who she saw. Why is there a two hundred million dollar yeah, hit out? That's my whole thing. Like, who cares? Because if if it was if it was Hush that was that was in a disguise as Bruce Wayne or Clayface that looked like Bruce Wayne or the Man on the Moon that looked like Bruce Wayne, it wouldn't matter. Cause it's yeah. not. I mean, so that whole thing falls down to me. And the Lincoln March one is fine, but he's not Bruce's twin. You know, he doesn't look just like Bruce. Lincoln wouldn't look like Bruce, even they're brothers, so they would look similar. And maybe. Stephanie. Oh, you never know. I mean, there's brothers that look really, really similar. Well, and that would be the only way I think that you get out of this with it making sense, right? Is that it is Lincoln March and that Lincoln is, and that Stephanie has seen Bruce Wayne so much on television. She sees this guy that looks almost just like him as his brother and decides that she thinks that's Bruce Wayne. Right. And if you think about it like this, okay, the idea of it being Lincoln March, you know, one of the things I was reading after all this Batman 38 stuff happened and the reveal at the end of the court of Owls being brought back into the story was, you know, the reveal of this issue is, Oh, we're bringing the court of Owls back into the story or, you know, back into this, you know, the current stories, but that doesn't that kind of put a damper on, could the court of Owls be behind everything that's happening in eternal? Well, kind of, but not necessarily because of the timing of everything, because if there's still two months left of, of eternal, it's very much well possible that the Court of Owls could be the big bats. It would be kind of stupid if the Court of Owls is probably going to be the ones featured in Batman next month when they're talking about the history of Gotham with, with Batman. But Lincoln March, on the other hand, that's, you know, if he is not involved with the court at all and he's just Lincoln March, you know, it's entirely possible that it could be him. Or it could be, this is what I was actually thinking when I saw Batman 38 was, Okay, what if at the end of Eternal, Lincoln March was using the Court of Owls and that they've decided to put him on ice as a talent or whatever? You know, and that yeah. they, they have a handshake agreement. But regardless, there has to be something where this makes sense because Stefan, I mean, it, I mean, I, I, and it's the last time I'll say it, but it was the most anticlimactic moment in history 
when she said it was Bruce Wayne. Because it's not Bruce. I mean, that's just, you know. Um, my, my first one was the hush, was, was like I said, the jump to hush just because we've seen him do it so many times. Impersonate Bruce, you know? So that's where I was on it. Uh, several things since the, the conversation took on many turns. <laughs> I think with, uh, with Stephanie, it could either be a misdirect, uh, with this $200 million, um, which I think I may have mentioned last time, just the fact that everyone's attention will be diverted towards her and then, Whoever is running this big operation, their end game is still mysterious. And, um, for, for, for the moment, no one's paying attention to it. Uh, perhaps she saw something, but she doesn't know what she saw. I, I almost think about, um, there's a movie that came out, oh gosh, I don't, uh, maybe 2008-ish called Atonement. And it was basically, um, there's, I mean, the big moment, it all centers around one event where this little girl comes upon, uh, a man and a woman and she, well, she sees them doing something, but she doesn't really recognize what it is and she miss identifies who the man is and then it's like it spirals out of control basically for the rest of the movie but it almost i feel like this could possibly be it where she feels like she saw bruce wayne but she doesn't actually know that it is bruce wayne and i think in that case then it wouldn't be such a dumb secret um because perhaps they think she saw everything but she's just she's a little confused um what was the other thing uh the hush and and Lincoln March working together doesn't feel right to me. I feel like their personalities are so big and so hateful of Bruce Wayne that slash loving, uh, that they, uh, they just would not be able to work together. And just to throw out a crazy theory, I know that some people love my crazy theories on here. Is it at all possible if they are in fact working together that Lincoln March, um, switched places with Hush? At some point, and he's you know bandaged up, and perhaps he's right there in the in the cylinder in the cave. No, you don't think be so? Because Clayface appeared after. Remember, he was just in a couple issues ago, putting on Batman's cowl and then making himself look like Batman. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, but Hush is an expert surgeon. He's changed people's faces before. I think what you what so is that what you're saying is that, is that Lincoln March has been changed by Hush to look like Hush, and that yeah, and Lincoln March is the one in the cave, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Hush is, would be more than capable of doing oh, that kind okay. of plastic surgery, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I didn't, I didn't think that was your question. I thought you were asking, you know, is, I thought you were asking if if it was possible that Clayface and Hush switched switched out. No, Lincoln March. Oh, Lincoln March. Yeah, Lincoln March and Hush. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I, I, I guess uh, the only thing I guess I don't understand would be what would be the point. Lincoln March is stuck in the cage. Why would he, why would, why would he want to be there? I don't know. He laughed. He has some sort of plan. I'm not sure. That was just a crazy idea. Like, that'd be something that'd be like, oh, reveal. Uh, my pro, and my last thing is about the court of vows that was brought up. I feel like if Lincoln March is the, the big bad guy, I hope that he is separated from the court of vows and that they don't play a part in Eternal just because with Batman now in Endgame seeking their help, and I talked about, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, but I think that if this were to happen just, you know, a few months prior, I guess, from Endgame, that there should be no way that he seeks their help 
if they did this to him, if they did that to his city and Jim Gordon, and he goes and asks their help for Joker, I think that would be uh poor insight into the character of Batman, even if desperate times call for desperate measures. So I really hope that they're not at all connected. Especially since he knows exactly where they are. I mean, in Endgame, right. the, the second he decides to go talk to him, he literally swims he right up to him. Right. So if there were wanted for any type of mass murdering hysteria, chaos bringing, you'd think he'd have brought them in. Mm-hmm. All right. So Batman Eternal number 43, I'm going to give this one a total of three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a total of three out of five. I will also give this a three and a half out of five. And I'd also like to say that I really enjoyed the art. I thought it was different and I, I liked what yeah. it looked like. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four. So that's going to give that many total number 43, a total of three and a half out of five. Bad ranks. Let's jump over to the website and talk about some of the other reviews that have popped up on the website in the last two weeks. Uh, first up, Batman the Jiroquata Batmanga, number 29, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four out of five. Batman 66, chapter 52, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it three out of five. Batman Superman, number 18, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four and a half out of five. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 38, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it four out of five. Justice League, number 38, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it two out of five. Batman the Jirakawada Batmanga, number 30, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it one out of five. Catwoman, number 38, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four out of five. Harley Quinn, number 14, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it one out of five. Gotham Academy, number four, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it four and a half out of five. And the New 52 Futures End, number 36 to 39, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four out of five. So be sure to check out all those reviews over on the website. Be sure to leave your comments. Also, as I mentioned before, you're able to leave your rating for the individual issues as well. Also, as I mentioned, uh, I forgot to mention last episode, but two episodes ago, we're still looking for some people to review some books, um, specifically Gotham by Midnight. Um, there's some other ones as well. But if you're interested in, in reviewing any books, regardless of what they are, just shoot us an email, head over to the website, look for the banner that says, we want you for TBU, and get a hold of us because, we, you know, just because necess- somebody's necessarily covering it doesn't mean you couldn't cover it too, or, you know, lighten the load for some of these guys who are doing multiple books per week. So if you're interested in reviewing any books, regardless of which ones they are, whether they are being reviewed or not, Shoot us an email and let us know which books you'd be interested in, and we'll go from there. That being said, this episode we are got we have a TV spotlight, so let's get into that. Uh, first up, let's jump into Stella. What's your pick for the month? So, Catwoman thirty eight. I felt like it was an actually really big issue. We we start to see. I think more so than in previous issues, Selena struggling with, you know, her position at the head of the empire. Roman Sionis finally is making a move and, and, uh, she and he sit down, which is, has some bad consequences. Uh, she's also doing with her, her right hand lady, uh, Antonia, who in the previous issue, uh, killed her brother because he, in a way, betrayed Selena. So she's dealing with that. And then there's a kind of a showdown with Batman. Uh, which I thought was uh, poignant and and pretty important as well. So I, I just feel like it's a 
it's it's a good issue and and showing her struggle and and what it's like to be i think she's finally realizing how difficult it is being in the position that she is in and just a lot of neat little moments that come together because there's a lot going on but it actually works really well with the book and catwoman continues to be a strong book which i'm very happy because the character deserves it ed what was your pick for the month um, Batman, Superman, number 18. Um, it's the third issue of this current arc where, uh, I thought it was poignant that it, it's this current story arc and Batman, Superman, number 18 is basically Superman has got his own Joker, which is, uh, a psycho, which is interested in, you know, hurting him and, and playing with him, um, more than it, he has anything else. Uh, and this issue kind of goes on. You see, uh, the crux of this issue is essentially Batman tries this big thing where he's trying to use Lois Lane as bait, uh, but the uh, Superman's Joker, which is all the villains currently known as, of course, uses the opportunity to uh, to try to kill Batman as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, Lois Lane. Um, I thought this was kind of cool, and I thought it was interesting that as we may be phasing out what we think of as the Joker from, from Batman continuity, the fact that uh, in Batman Superman, they're trying to give Superman his own version of a Joker. So I just thought mm-hmm. it was interesting point based on what we were being presented with in 38 this one. And the bullet was a person. Yeah, the bullet was the uh, if, if you guys are in the Superman stuff, it's uh, the city in a bottle, Kandor. The, mm-hmm. the bullets being used are actually uh, little Kandorians for lack of a better term. <laughs> that, that, have been, that have been weaponized. Um, and if you guys haven't been, been following this, I, I read the last couple issues because there is some really good stuff, Bat Family stuff, where uh, Superman asked the thing it's the issue before the thing at 17 where Superman asks him, you know, should, do you ever wish you should kill the Joker? And you kind of get this, these really good flashback scenes of, uh, all the yeah. things the Joker has put, put Batman through and, and a lot of talks about Barbara and, and her being put in the chair oh. and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's actually the issue before this is more bat centric than this one is, but it does have some, especially because of what we're reading in, in, in end game, this mm-hmm. has some interesting points to, uh, more classic Joker activities, which of course goes back to the whole, should they be using the right character from the Bible type thing, but, um, is some interesting, um, moments here. And the first time I can really remember having that level of deep conversation where Batman and Superman had this really deep, not talking about a specific instance, but, uh, the life of Batman with the Joker. So if you haven't read these issues, I would grab them. All right. And my pick for the month, probably a crazy one, the multiversity guidebook. Um, this, okay, I'm, I, as far as the story goes, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't really been keeping up with what's been happening with Multiversity. I'm kind of waiting for trades. But I did check out the guidebook specifically because I was really interested to see them portray all of these Earths and, you know, go through. And out of the 52 Earths, there was only seven that they didn't reveal as to what they are. Because they'll be revealed in future issues of the Multiversity. But, you know... Having 52 universes is kind of nuts to begin with, but then revealing, you know, basically 45 of them and kind of not only showing you, a, you know, what the Earth kind of looks like, but also showing, you know, some of the main heroes that are from there, giving a little brief description. I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've always liked Secret Files and Origins whenever they do those. I love that kind of stuff because it always gives you this idea. And what's really cool about the guide is that you you run through and, you know, basically any version of Batman, even the Elseworlds ones, has a, an actual universe. Batman Beyond takes place on Earth-12. There's an entire Earth for Red Rain. Um, 
there's an entire earth for Gotham, I guess. Like, there's an entire earth for, you know, a Victorian era, uh, you know, Batman. It, there, it's just awesome to see all the different versions. Not every earth has a Batman, but there's some awesome ones. Like, there was a one, uh, Bizarro has its own universe. It's Earth 29. There's a, a couple different versions of what would have happened if, if Superman landed in Kansas, what would have happened, or, uh, not in Kansas, in, in Russia, which is the Red Sun version. Then there's the other version, which is what happens if, if, uh, Superman landed in Germany right around the time of World War II. How would have everything, how would have everything changed? There's a couple other ones that I thought were interesting. Earth 37. A world of lawless heroes and, and cynical champions on Earth 37 technology accelerated through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The beat sellers of the 50s gave way to the underground Mars base colonies of the 80s, Europa bases of the 90s, and the interstellar world of Tommy Tomorrow, Manhunter, and the Space Rangers. It's and like the just, thrill killer. The thr- design yeah. thrill killer, it's right? Very yeah. Th- yeah, it is thrill killer. But I mean, like, it, it's just absolutely awesome. There's a version where JFK was not, was not killed. Um, there's another one. It, it's just really cool to see them all. And honestly, we're never going to see stories from every single one of these universes. Some of them we have seen, you know, with Red Sun and we've seen ones with Red Rain and we've seen ones with Gotham by Gaslight. We've seen some of those stories, but it's just cool to see how, you know, Morrison kind of mashed this all together and put it all together to make all, make sense. I think it's awesome. So definitely check that out. And, uh, just, just to run through the list of other possibilities of books that you could check out this month. Uh, Arkham Manor number four, Batgirl number 38, as Ed Pick, Batman Superman number 18, Batwoman number 38, as Stella Pick, Catwoman number 38, Deathstroke number four also has an appearance by Harley Quinn as well as Batman at the very end, Earth 2 number 30, Earth 2 Worlds End number 14 through 17, Gotham Academy number 4, Gotham by Midnight number 3, Grayson number 6, Harley Quinn number 14, Justice League number 38, New Suicide Squad number 6, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 38, Teen Titans number 6, My Pick, The Multiversity Guidebook number 1, New 52, Future Zen 36 through 39, and World's Finest number 30. Also keep in mind that some of these books are going to be ending in the next couple months, so why don't you just check them out, even if you, you don't have to really commit to, you know, even if you was just to check out one or two of these issues, you only have two months left. So if you check out one or, you know, some of these issues that are ending, there's not a lot of commitment because it's not going to keep going. Although it would be kind of horrible for you to pick it up, get invested in it and then have it end. But nonetheless, there's always the trades that'll eventually come out as well. So just be on the lookout that there are plenty of books that you can read related to Batman. Um, also, that would obviously be the entire list of all the books that we would need to be covered over on the website. So if you're interested in reviewing any of those books, be sure to let us know. Also, remember, next episode is listener Q&As. I noticed that we already have some listener Q&As for the last episode, so be sure to leave your listener Q&As for this episode so that we read all of those on the next podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Check out all the other editorials we have to offer on the website as well. Also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have on the website. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. 
and we will see you guys in two weeks.